You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says you're talking to me You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack And you can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna Scene, yeah, you wanna see like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. Jeff and John talk scenes and quotes. Jeff improvises while John takes notes. From Mozambique to Montreal, you can join in the chat on Scene It All. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. Seen It All with Jeff and John. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I am Jeff Glover. And I am John Zabriskie. And today we are super excited to talk about a scene from, oh boy, this is a big one, Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. You talk about big scenes, we're also talking about big movies, big directors, big actors, big action. Just like put the word big in front of everything and you have accurately described the scene in this movie. We really kind of set the bar high here starting with this one, didn't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is uh, this is both uh, one of my favorite movies. I'm thinking it's probably one of your favorite movies, John. Maybe favorite mm-hmm. action movies. Definitely, Definitely one there. of my favorite Arnold movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so today we're going to uh, be talking about and breaking down uh, the L.A. River chase scene, uh, the first major chase scene in the film. And we'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to all of that in a moment. But uh, we should probably start off, since this is the first episode of our new podcast project, mm-hmm. kind of talk to the people about uh, what we're doing here. What, why have we come back again? Back. <laughs> Sorry. Back. <laughs> it'll well, it'll uh, never stop. <laughs> yeah, it'll never stop. It'll just be immortal. It'll live on in our hearts and in our voices. <laughs> anytime, anytime something ends in anytime. act. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is our second project together. Our first project together was the Predator Minute podcast, where we analyzed the 1987 action sci-fi classic, Predator one minute at a time over a course of 104 episodes, along with a Predator 2 commentary. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So it, that, that's that's its own podcast feed. It will live on evergreen, hopefully, <laughs> uh, as long as SoundCloud is around. You can find that. Um, I do believe I put us as the artists, John and Jeff, under that because there is another Predator Minute podcast. But yeah, now we're going to be talking something completely different, something I'm really excited about, which was more yeah. of your idea, though, because um, for the longest time, I've always wanted just to kind of talk about a different movie every week. But you're the one who proposed this format. Why, Jeff? Why? Well, I thought it was something uh, unique. And uh, I also just thought that there really weren't enough podcasts where two <laughs> heterosexual white guys talked about movies. So. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Talk about movies from our youth. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, in all seriousness, I thought this would be a really fun way to take on a movie per episode. There's so many podcasts out there that uh, just discuss a movie every episode. And, you know, that's great. And uh, there's a lot of great podcasts that do that. But 
uh, this felt like an, uh, a natural transition from our minute by minute roots to do a kind of a scene breakdown show where we just pick a scene, a favorite scene or a standout scene from one of the uh, movies we'd like to talk about. It'll give us a chance to watch a different movie every episode, um, kind of explores different genres that we enjoy. And uh, one of the fun things we're going to do is we're going to alternate choosing and we're not mm-hmm. going to tell each other before it's announced on the show, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and on that note, when we have guests, uh, there will be the occasional guest on the show from either uh, our previous podcast, Predator Minute podcast, or from outside of the Predator Minute podcast guesting and I assume that on occasion we'll make sure that they have the choice. They can kind of surprise us through email or whatnot. And then, yeah, it'll give us a good reason to watch the movie and really break down a scene from someone else's perspective. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I am really excited about this and uh, I'm sure the show will kind of change and evolve over time, but uh, we're going to give it a go. See how, see how it works. And uh We're starting off with Terminator 2. This felt like a nice transition from Predator Minute. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. it's an action movie. It's an Arnold movie. It's from roughly the same time period. And uh, I know it's a movie we both love. So um, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. And you chose, I I guess, do you want to talk about personal history with Terminator? Man, it's it's hard to uh, explain how much this movie meant to me. It was still means to me, but meant to me when I was, especially when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. I, uh, so this movie came out in summer of 1991, which would have put me at 11 years old. And uh, my, we had some family friends um, and their dad, well, it was a, it was a sort of a family that was friends with our family and their family had two sons. One of them was close to my age and their dad took his two sons plus me to go see Terminator two in the theater in the summer of 1991. It was the first R rated movie I ever saw in a theater. Mm. And part of my love for this movie is just being at that impressionable age and also happening happening to see one of the greatest action movies ever created as my first mm-hmm. R-rated uh, film to see in the theater. And um, yeah, it just, it blew me away. It's a movie that I've revisited countless number of times. Um, and it'll just live in history as one of my favorites. And this, this particular scene, we'll talk about why I chose this scene a little bit later, but I think this particular scene really is one of the scenes that, stands out in my mind whenever I think about this movie. Sure. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear why you chose that scene. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. How about yourself? Did, was this something you watched as a kid or saw when it first came out? Well, I think you and I are pretty close to the same age. I was also 11 when this came out. This wasn't my first R-rated movie in the theaters. It was actually my second one. My Mm. first one was the March 1991 release of The Hard Way with Michael J. Fox (laughs) and James Woods. The Hard Way. And the underrated Stephen Lang, I might add. Mm. uh, All right, you win. Better movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Better movie. No, no, I'm going to go ahead and give it to this one. I remember this one being such a cultural event. Right. uh, Even before it came out, you know, while watching, then after watching, this would put us, what we said, 11 years old. So what, we're in sixth grade, I think? That sounds about right. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Seven. (laughs) Oh, no, were we in fifth grade? Well, it was... 
I think we're I think we're in fifth grade we're, at the we're, time. It's the summer between fifth and sixth grade. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Yeah. So I remember coming to school in the fall and like wanting to talk to my friends about this movie. Like, and of course, all my friends had seen it. Which, like, when I look back at the gross and see that this is the highest grossing R-rated film, yeah, uh, for a, what I think twelve or thirteen years, which is a huge brag for this movie that, that tells you that everybody was seeing this, that it was just all throughout the zeitgeist, whether you had seen it in a theater or on video or not, or maybe you just watched the guns and roses video, but this is definitely one that permeated. I had that guns and roses. You will be mine. Oh, yeah. song recorded off the radio on a cassette <laughs> tape. Listen to that on the way to the beach. Uh, I mean, with the family, do you remember the trailers for this movie and how hype you got when you saw them? Like, they had that original teaser trailer. I don't know if you remember, but it was like just a slow shot of like a, a machine that was slowly opening up. And then it like, it opened up like a sandwich kind of. And then yeah. as it opened up, Arnold was standing inside of it as like a newly formed predator and his eyes just popped and glowed. And did you say predator? Did I say predator? <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh man, this is never going to leave our minds. <laughs> That's funny. a newly formed Terminator. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. And uh, and his eyes just pop and start glowing. It, I, I think the tagline was something like "I I'm coming back" or something like that. I'll be back. And then they just slammed T two onto the screen. And that was the teaser, and I, I, everyone lost their fucking minds, you know. Yeah. Oh my god, I remember talking about a teaser and a campaign before the movie comes out. Because if I remember correctly, does the I know the teaser trailer doesn't give you anything, and I watched this yesterday, and uh, the trivia says that Stan Winston, like our favorite FX guy, yeah. directed that trailer. Okay. Uh, and with uh, Cameron's permission, so it was clearly to hype everybody up, but not give anything away. Um, I don't remember any of the trailers, like the extended trailers, though, before it came out, like theatrical trailers. Did that say anything about like the intent of I, Arnold in the movie? I don't remember them either. Um, I know that when I, I, I have a pretty distinct memory of almost going into this blind, you know, I had probably seen a trailer, but uh, all of the big scenes in this movie blew me away in such a way that makes me think that I, I had no idea what I was about to see, you know? Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. I don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now, his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? 
Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy, like Terminator 1, you know, was a hit and was a, a, a little bit of a cultural phenomenon on its own. But it was also kind of this low budget sci-fi horror movie that gained traction through VHS rentals, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And kind of became popular in that way and sort of built up a fan base. So for this to be announced and for you to realize the magnitude of this film, like we'll, we'll talk about it, but the budget for this film was the biggest budget ever for any movie that had ever existed up to this point. It's kind of crazy that they were like, okay, here, take a hundred million dollars and go make a sequel to this kind of a cult sci-fi horror movie. Um, but I mean, everyone was jazzed for it. I mean, you see Arnold up on the screen, Schwarzenegger across the, mm-hmm. the poster, like he, you know, we were we were ready to go <laughs> right this is yeah i think a lot of people would argue this is arnold at the height of his power uh cameron definitely well i think a lot of people would say like this is the uh, what would you even call that like kind of the the end of well no he was he was i would say in the midst of his action blockbuster phase and then he goes i think true lies and then he goes to titanic and quite a bit later avatar yeah. Um, yeah, where he is just you know bending the special effects game once again, yeah, uh, but well, using a different kind of technology. Yeah, that's another conversation. Like Cameron went on this crazy run through the '90s, where every movie he made was the most expensive movie ever made, right? You know, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, he just built his legacy that way. But you know, you make a movie like this with the success it had, and it's quite literally a blank check to do whatever you want. Um, yes, from then on, you know, so. Um, all right. Well, uh, should we uh, get into it? So we're we're talking about the L.A. River chase scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are uh, watching this, uh, we're going to kind of break this scene up. Uh, well, well, I'll say this. Our, our starting point is is when John Connor comes out of the hallway behind the Galleria after the two Terminators have met for the first time and jumps on his uh, his little motorbike there. And then the scene will end, of course, when uh, after the T-1000 slowly walks out of the burning truck. So that that's going to be the – it's about a five-and-a-half-minute scene, I think, um, yes. that we're going to cover. Yeah, um, I would say to give this movie a quick overall recap, uh, and then I'll do like a quick recap up to this scene, and then we can do after this scene, we can explain kind of quickly the rest of the movie, like where sure. it goes from here. Uh, But just overall, this is from IMDb, the movie recap. It says, a cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor must now protect her 10-year-old son, John Connor, both of our Zencaster (laughs) names, (laughs) thank you, from a more advanced and powerful cyborg. Mm, So Mm. nice, 
nice taut uh, summary right there. Yeah. Just telling us everything you need to know about the movie. And yeah, I'll talk more about that as a, as a kind of explanation for this scene even, but up to the scene. So do you remember what has happened up to the scene in the movie? Well, this is, this is actually one of the reasons why I chose this scene is I, I love the first half hour of this movie. I, I think that James Cameron does an incredible job of very deliberately and methodically introducing us to all the different characters that are at play. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the beginning of the film, we, we see that the T 800, the, yeah, the T 800 show up, he goes to the biker bar, kicks some ass, gets his leather jacket, does all that good stuff. Right. We're also mm-hmm. introduced to the T 1000. And so we see him for the first time. Um, we're also introduced to, uh, Sarah Connor in the uh, insane asylum with a couple really great. So uh, I could talk about all that insane mm-hmm. asylum stuff for a long time, but a um, couple great scenes there. So we get, we see her and, and the reveal that she's, you know, looks quite a bit different from the first movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we also get introduced to miles Dyson, the, a scientist that's working for Skynet that uh, at the same time, it's revealed that uh, they're holding on to, the original predator arm from the first movie, which is kind of cool, sort of closes that time loop. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get all the, Oh, and then of course we're introduced to John Connor, right? The bratty angsty kid <laughs> living with his foster parents. <laughs> and this is all done. And we, we just get uh, pieces of all these different characters. And I love the way that that's set up because immediately, you know, who's in play, who our characters are, what they're all doing. And then you also know that at some point in the film, all these people are going to come meet each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I love this chase scene so much is it's the first time the two uh, Terminators, I almost said Predator again. <laughs> it's the first time the two Terminators meet up and they have the brawl in the hallway, in the hallway uh, behind the Galleria arcade. And so we get to see the strength and sort of what the T-1000 can do. Um and it's also the moment that John Connor sees both of them. Um, and so this really kind of kickstarts the middle half of the movie when all the characters begin to meet each other. Um, and it does, in a, does it in a kick-ass way with this amazing chase scene, which we'll talk about. But mm-hmm. um, anyhow, that, that's, uh, that's how I kind of describe the, the first half hour of the movie leading up to this. Yeah, that's, that's a really good recap. And uh, one of my first notes is that this scene – works as a, a microcosm of the movie It mm. is showing Arnold as the T 800 protecting John from the T 1000 like, in a vicious, ruthless, endless hunt yeah. where they just leave a wake of destruction behind it, It's kind of a, yeah, smaller version of the entire movie, which is very destructive and very much just about the T 1000 chasing. You could say this whole movie is one big chase and, and this is right. Uh, the first of, quite a a few chases. Have you ever noticed how, I mean, and this was spoiled through the marketing of the film. By the time the film came out, we knew that Arnold was going to be the good guy Mm because it was all over the press and like it was sort of announced. But have you noticed that in this movie, you don't actually know if you were to watch it blind, you wouldn't really know which, which Terminator (laughs) is the good one and the bad one. He almost said predator. I I almost said predator. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they sound too much alike. Um, 
but you really don't like you, yes. you meet, you meet the T 800, you meet Arnold and he's kicking ass and, and stealing clothes uh, just like he did in the first film. Um, you meet the T 1000 and they kind of do the little, um, a little MacGuffin there where he puts on cop clothes to make you feel like he might be a good guy because he's dressed mm-hmm. as a cop and it's never explicitly stated which one is the good one, which one is the bad one. All you know is that they're both searching for, for John Connor. And uh, when I was listening to the, um, I listened to the, the director's commentary for this and, oh, yeah. uh, and James Cameron pretty much admits this in the, in the, in the commentary. He says that that was the original intent of the first part of the movie was to have this showdown in the hallway outside the Galleria and you don't know which predator. Oh my God, I did it again. You don't know which Terminator is the good one or the bad one until Arnold grabs John Connor and protects him and takes all the shots in the back. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I always just think about like what a cool reveal that would have been if I hadn't known already that yes. Arnold was the good one, you know? So I, I think that's a really cool thing. I think it's something that people don't necessarily realize because they've seen this movie so many times and they know mm-hmm. who's the good and the bad. But um, I think that's a really great construct to kind of build tension in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's, it's really similar to something we talked about way back when in predator, when it first starts, they show the alien ship kind of being deposited on earth for just a brief 15 seconds mm-hmm. or so. And if, if you cut that out and you go into the movie blind, you have no idea there's some kind of alien presence until I think about 20 minutes in, I think it's like 17 when they find the skinned green berets, but it's another few minutes, I think before they find like, before we see the predator vision, even then I think it's a full half hour in a movie, very similar to this movie yeah. where you see like the predator's hand and like, that's, a huge reveal, especially if you're, you know, really only if you're going in blind, but yeah. yeah, similarly, I did watch this over the course of a couple of days last week just to prep. Um, and it's just so engaging and heart pounding still as a movie. And like you said, that first half hour is, is, is a mystery if you don't really know what's going on. So watching it from those eyes was really fun. Just thinking like, Oh, like if you're watching this, you don't know Arnold's not bad. And right. like Linda Hamilton clearly doesn't know that Arnold's not bad. And John Connor doesn't know that. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, we, as the audience kind of take on that role uh, as one of the characters, not knowing um, mm-hmm. it's really, I, I really love the way that this whole story unfolds. Um, and the fact that it takes, you know, half an hour or so to get to the first real action sequence and at the same time you're just on the edge of your seat um with just all the character development i think is a testament to how well this movie is put together Mm -hmm. all right well um should we get into it here do you want to start talking la river chase scene let's do it did you want to do it part by part kind of like we kind of like the good old days yeah yeah let's do it if uh if uh, sounds good to you i'll just uh you've got some great synopsis here unless you want to read them or i can read it Oh, no, go for it. Go for it. All right, here we go. We are going to get into the L.A. River chase scene, and we're going to break this down into three parts, as we do. And uh, (laughs) so we'll start with part one of the scene. This is when John Connor starts his dirt bike in the Galleria Mall parking garage as the T-1000 enters the garage. John yells, come on! As he zips zips out of the garage and the T-1000 is in close pursuit on foot. 
Oh man, we got to talk about the T1000 running face. It's pretty epic. Mm-hmm. Um, John ramps up and out of the garage, cutting off a, uh, a, a semi tow truck, and the T1000 chucks the truck driver out of the door. John keeps riding away as we then see the T800, Arnold, leave the garage in pursuit on his Harley Davidson motorcycle. Ooh. I love this, John, because right away we get to see all three vehicles that are going to be involved in this chase, and it gives me a boner every single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you look at this, I don't know, it's, this is my like symbolism hat going on. Like there, There's something very representative about the vehicles. I agree, They're 100%. All controlling, like clearly John is... You know, just still kind of this punk kid. What is a punk kid going to be riding around? Like some ratty dirt bike, some uh, tuned up dirt bike. Um, yep. The T-1000 is in basically like a moving wall. Just, just <laughs> destroying it, a, everything in his path. Yeah. It's a tow truck, which I believe the other name is a wrecker. Uh, oh, that's nice. kind of like slang. Uh, so clearly <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's, 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 he's putting a lot of uh, cars and even old rusted out cars and, and even worse shape, maybe some shopping carts. And then you have Arnold, of course, like the heavier, clearly of the Terminators on like the classic motorcycle, the classic Choppa. Yeah. The cha- yeah. Cause he's the, he's the classic Terminator, right? So he gets mm-hmm. the, he gets the classic machine. Yeah. And I, I love the juxtaposition of these different vehicles. And I, I remember being 11 years old and just sitting up in my chair being like, Oh shit, here we go. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. And, uh, you, you know, you've got the, the, you know, John on the bike, so he's quick and can zip, you know, around things. And you've got, uh, the T1000 who can clearly just bust through anything. And then Arnold on that, that bike with the deep classic Harley sound revving around the corners. Oh man, such a great start to a, to a chase. Do you think, uh, I was going to Spielberg, do you think Cameron took inspiration from, Spielberg in the movie Duel. I don't know if you've mm. seen that movie. Yeah, I or, love that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's if I remember correctly, isn't it like a basically a semi truck um, chasing down a guy in a hot rod? Do I have that right? Uh, I think he's in a just a, a regular car. Okay, like like a sedan or something, if I remember right. Um, but Wait, I I, under, I see the parallel. No, no, no. It says the 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 unseen driver of a rusted Peterbilt 281. And if you look at that, that is kind of like your class. It's a little bit older, but it's like your kind of classic. I'll put it in the chat here. Your classic truck, like your classic semi truck, like maybe an older version, but at the same time. Oh, the, I'm, you I'm, mean the, the big truck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the big truck and duel, the one who's that's doing yeah. the chasing. Sorry. I thought you were talking about the, the other guy, the, the, the suit. That's being chased. Oh, got it. Yeah, it. sorry about that. Um, no, no, I'm no. That makes sense. Yeah, the big, yeah. imposing, like the flat front of the of the truck, just mm-hmm. like like you said, like a just a wall of destruction. <laughs> it it also reminds me of like, God, what was the Stephen King movie? Oh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. We're like, yeah, the semi trucks are the bad guys again. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just kind of continuing that imagery to me, especially like in this river channel. The river channel really presents like a desolate place, like uh, just like a dead area that nobody's in. There's rusted out cars, old shopping carts. It, it's like they're almost in this kind of mini 
apocalyptic wasteland here in the channel. And here's like just death looming. And that, that's all that's, that's uh, behind John for now in this first part. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It does. It feels like some sort of Mad Max scene or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, almost gives it like Western vibes. If there was a, a big chase scene through a, <laughs> a Western, you know, where it's just sort of, there's nobody else except for them. And there's just a bunch of debris in the way. Um yeah, that's awesome. I hadn't thought about that before. Um, so a couple, uh, we got a couple of little, but kind of behind the scenes notes here, but uh, I think this this stuff's really interesting. So Edward Furlong, of course, plays John Connor, and for many of the scenes, they shot him riding the bike. Uh, there are some scenes where he's actually controlling the bike. A lot of the scenes have him on a rig, where he's kind of attached to another larger vehicle for safety. Um, right. but, but then for a lot of the, the cutaway scenes where you can actually see him riding on the bike and making turns and stuff, they had to use a stunt double, of course, but the stunt double is not the size of John Connor, who's like <laughs> no. 10 years old. So what they did is they used a, uh, the smallest stunt double they could find, but then used a larger sized bike to make mm-hmm. the proportions look right. I thought that was a pretty ingenious filmmaking there. Good job. James is, Cameron. And, and- you can, and you can totally tell though when his uh, stunt doubles on screen. It's, yeah. it's, it's he's wearing like an Edward Furlong wig. Yeah, which I think that must be a popular item back in the early nineties. Right. I want to be like John Connor. It is when you see some of those scenes. If you look really carefully or you slow it down, you're like, oh, that is a, a small man wearing a wig. Yeah. <laughs> Small man riding a bigger dirt bike wearing a wig. Yeah. (laughs) That is good stuff. Oh, and um, Robert Patrick here in the beginning doing, uh, I believe, the first of his classic T-1000 runs where he's looking straight ahead. He's not breathing out his mouth. Just just a machine. Just so efficient, of course, uh, in all his actions. and, And running is no different. Just slicing through the air. Uh, just terrifyingly fast right after Edward for sorry, right after John Connor. Yeah. I, I love that reveal as well, because up until this point, you've seen the T 1000, you saw him get in a fight with Arnold and you see how his sort of metal body works, but still everything he's done up to this point has sort of been slow and deliberate and methodical. Mm-hmm. And I love Robert Patrick's performance here, how he kind of looks with his eyes before he turns his head, you know, Um, it's really, really, uh, awesome choice that he made, like bringing that character alive. But then when he, when he just busts into that run, you're like, Oh God, he can, (laughs) he can move fast. And, uh, uh, that was another part of the director's commentary. Cameron said that the first time they did that take Robert Patrick was actually really fast and he, (laughs) and he caught the bike on the first take. And they were like, we can't use that take. You can't catch him. <laughs> so they had to force him to try to slow himself down a little bit and also speed up the bike so that he wouldn't actually catch the bike coming out of the gate there. Oh, my gosh. That's that hilarious. Awesome. Yeah. That's like, he's too fast. He's a, he's a Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that Terminator run, though. You're right. Mouth closed. And he's got the, the straight fingers up and down mm-hmm. <laughs> with the arms. Oh, it's so great. Yeah, in, in my notes, I have that. And this is just all IMDb, so take it for what it's worth. But other T1000 cast ideas were Billy Idol, apparently 
James Cameron's first choice. But That's crazy had, to me. Had a broken leg at the time, I guess, from a motorcycle accident. Funny mm. enough, uh, Michael Bean, of course. Oh yeah. Uh, man, why, why am I blanking on his name? What is his name in the first movie? Oh, Kyle Reese. Yeah, Kyle Reese. Yeah. Uh, Blackie Lawless, who's the lead singer of Wasp. I don't know hmm. what that is, but what's the deal with the musicians playing the T one thousand? I don't know. I think he's. I think James Cameron has uh, has a thing for for hard rock. You know, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that they made the choice they did. I, I I think if Billy Idol was to be playing the role, all I would ever see is Billy Idol. You know? Yeah, and. <laughs> If if Michael Bean's playing the role, I think that's a little confusing between the first and the second movie. Mm-hmm. Now the good guy and the bad guy are completely flipped, which is mm-hmm. a little strange. Um, and uh, so I like Robert Patrick because he's not super well known, but like a well known character actor, you know. And he totally inhabited that role. I, I, it's just awesome. Yeah, James Cameron liked him in Die Hard Two from 1990. Oh, right, there. nice. Yeah, I remember him being one of the the, the baddies, one of the henchmen. Uh, especially like in the early airport shootout scene where they pretend to be painters and it's like mm. a duck and they just start taking out the SWAT team. That's right. So then the other vehicle we get to see is uh, Arnold T 800 on the, on the Harley. Mm-hmm. Now uh, do we have uh, specifications on what type of Harley he was riding here? Yes, we do. Yes. I actually, yeah. Another thing I copy pasted, but <laughs> um, where is it? All right. This motorcycle is a Harley Davidson soft tail fat boy. Fat <laughs> and boy. it goes on to say, although never confirmed by HD, many believe that HD came up with fat boy model name as a tasteless joke made by combining the nicknames of the two atomic bombs dropped over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, Little boy and fat man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it says the fat boy bike was supposed to represent the reemergence and dominance of American bikes over their Japanese counterparts. Yikes. Oof. Similar designs to a B-29 bomber and tank symbols resemble a bomber pilot's flight wings. Wow. Yikes. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just gloss over that and just say it's a pretty cool looking bike. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool looking bike and it has, the the cool sounds the mm-hmm. that low rumble is so great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, this movie is just a masterpiece of sound design as well as what we're seeing as top notch action and stunts and stunt driving. All right, should we get to the second part here? I think that's it. Go okay. for it. Second part. All right, second part. Here's where we really ramp things up. John takes the side road, which leads him down into the L.A. River flood control channel. He slows down and stops, looking behind him. We hear a screech as John looks up at the overpass, just as the semi-truck breaks through the wall and crashes down onto the channel bed. It smashes and sparks, but keeps on coming after John. The truck and John are now in a high-speed pursuit down the channel. The T-800 is now riding his motorcycle above the channel. The channel narrows as the truck scrapes the walls and takes out rusted cars. The T-800 shoots the lock off a fence to keep tracking the chase. He starts firing his sawed-off shotgun at the semi-truck, reloading by spinning the gun like a boss. Like a boss. Like a boss. He shoots another lock to stay in pursuit. The semi's top then rips off under a low overpass, and the T-1000 punches the remaining windshield out of the way. The truck is now hitting the rear of John's dirt bike. Hmm. Whew. 
terrifying stuff. I mean, this is where those allusions to duel and uh, thunder, sorry, overdrive, maximum uh, overdrive, maximum overdrive uh, yeah. <laughs> come into play for sure with the, with the truck just towering over the pursue But the difference here is like the people in those other movies, usually like in other vehicles or they're in a building. In this case, this is a guy on a dirt bike. This is, terrifying this is like an ant to that humongous truck uh, I, I love the love that imagery the the juxtaposition of those two vehicles <laughs> clearly yeah. like one is uh more powerful than the other one you remember how jaw-dropping that was when you first saw it when you see mm-hmm. the the truck blast through the overpass wall and come flying down into the the canal um yeah just that, one, that is iconic yeah just one of the great action movie stunts apparently that was done practically they actually sent a truck down over the edge oh, of course went, yeah why not and <laughs> and when it landed it actually broke the axle and you see it when it lands the the wheels go all wonky and the whole truck like zooms off to the the driver's right like towards yeah. the wall and uh and James Cameron was like, well, that was a good take though. We're just going to use it. And so in, in following up on that scene, they just sort of positioned the truck up on that wall and just brought it back to the middle to make it all look seamless. Uh, but yeah, they destroyed a truck in the process and had to start with a new one on that. Oh, of course. And then they further destroyed a little bit, uh, later. Yes. Um, but did we even, did that come up at all yet? Or is that, in the third, no, I think when, it's in this when part. the top gets ripped off. Yeah, the yeah, top that's is, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. top is ripped off because while they're filming, at least in the script, they didn't plan on the top coming off. Uh, but I believe the low enough overpass totally gave them the excuse just to rip it off, which is adding even more, of course, to this chase right. to like the destructiveness and like the drive of the T one thousand not going to stop until John Connor is dead. He's just, he's just he's going to take any means necessary. Yeah, apparently they had to score the top of the truck and they actually ran it into the overpass to like actually shear it off. Um, but again, like Cameron here is making, you know, lemonade out of lemons, right? They they realize mm-hmm. that's the case. How can we use this? They shear off the top. That becomes kind of an iconic part of this chase. And it turns into a great like quick gag because for a moment they, they shoot the truck and you can't see the T-1000 driving. And the, yeah. we, we have that great moment where he pops back up, right? And smashes yeah. the windshield out of his way and just keeps on driving with his emotionless expression, which is just oh, yeah. so perfect. Yeah. He's all business. It, it is one of my favorite little tiny moments of this scene where, yeah, he's almost like a toddler just popping that window off, just kind of like being annoyed <laughs> at something, but not breaking the face yeah. as toddlers do sometimes, which just kind of like emotionlessly <laughs> break a toy or something like that. And like, hey, and it's just... I love that little pop off of the windshield. Um, that He's was just one of channeling the... every father uh, driving his family on a road trip. <laughs> I'll punch his windshield out. <laughs> I will punch his windshield out right now. <laughs> yeah, I remember dad doing that. <laughs> dad, no, <laughs> I just have to pick it up later. Uh, that is one of the uh, one of the goofs I was reading about was that when the truck first lands off of the overpass, mm. uh, the windshield clearly comes off but then in uh, the most recent special edition whatever blu-ray 4k i don't know yeah uh, but when it does crash down in that latest edition the windshield doesn't pop out and i watched that comparison video it was very clear that that those are still intact because you see them 
well, because they crack, obviously, when the top comes off, and then the T-1000 has to pop the windshields off by hand. Right. Uh, so that wouldn't really work if they fell off uh, when they hit the ground here. But it's so minor. It's not It's not what you're paying attention to. But uh, yeah. I guess James Cameron wanted in for continuity. Continuity's sake, yeah. I had never uh, noticed that until, like, researching this. Yeah, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. never, ever noticed. Um, so we... Uh, so we get the the sheared off top, um, and and now they're zooming down the L.A. River, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way Cameron just kind of sets all our characters here. Like, there's never a moment in this scene where you don't know where anybody is, right? Mm-hmm. It's I think there's so many action movies these days. You know, I'm thinking of like Michael Bay movies where the action gets so frenetic that it's hard to keep track of what's going on, who is where and like what the geography of the scene is. Mm -hmm. But he takes the deliberate amount of time here to just show Arnold riding that motorcycle along. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, here's where he is. Here's what they're doing. And, and, you know, we get the great shot of him shooting the fence a couple times, but it just still really establishes that, He's right here. They're down here. He's in pursuit. And you always know where all three players are at all times. And that sounds simple, but it's not like that. You have to be very like deliberate about doing that to make the storytelling make sense. And, um, I, I love that addition. And, and of course, like we can't just have Arnold like driving along and then, and, and jumping down into the river. He's got to pull out his shotgun and shoot his way through the yes. streets, you know, <laughs> I mean, how how iconic is that that gun flip? It is it is so iconic. It it is used quite a few times uh, in this sequence. I think it's only in this sequence too, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's That's used it. again. Uh, I, does he use a shotgun? He does use a shotgun in the hallway of the Galleria, but I don't think he's doing the twirl. And later on, Sarah Connor uses a different shotgun in right. the steel mill but that is not, she's not spinning that. That's just a, a one hand. It's another badass way to reload. And that's her cocking the entire <laughs> right. thing. One handed. And yeah, oh my God, <laughs> she's a Terminator. Yeah, but yeah, this is another, another iconic uh, just imagery from this movie. And what it says is that what I have, uh, it's on the trivia for Amazon too. Look at that. It says the T-800's shotgun has an extra large finger loop in its lever to make it easier to cycle the action by twirling. This trick was performed by John Wayne in several of his Westerns, including True Grit, Stagecoach, and El Dorado. Oh, so it was not the very first time. Hmm. No. That's cool. Um, Yeah, so they had to fashion a larger grip. So, And I guess Arnold had to practice using it a bunch of times until he could get that down. But... um, it works so well and it looks so he makes it look so easy, right? That you believe it that like, Oh, of course this robot from the future can just flip the shotgun around and fire mm-hmm. again. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so seamless. Uh, so I think seamless. A piece of trivia I was reading too, was that uh, the metal on the trigger guard would like tear away at his skin. So he was left with uh, quite, quite a bad ripped up, finger or two from right. spinning it didn't i think i feel like i also read that he actually accidentally whacked uh edward furlong in the head with it <laughs> yes yes at one point i could you can see it right at the very end of this scene where they're sitting on the dirt bike and he 
tucks the shotgun back away and goes right over John's head and kind of brushes <laughs> his hair a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, do we have other details about this section? Uh, oh, yeah. I can give a little bit of location details. Oh, sure. This is this is from movielocations.com. Yeah, so we are slash- actually in the L.A. River here, right? Yeah, this is a <laughs> flood control channel like I um, put in the notes and like you read off earlier. Uh, but it says, escaping on his dirt bike, Connor tears into one of L.A.'s concrete flood control channels back in the San Fernando Valley. The spillway used is Bull Creek, which leads down to the Sepulveda flood control area in drier times, the Balboa and the Encino golf courses. And I did a, a quick Google map of this mm. and um, just kind of scrolled south on the Bull Creek area. I put the Google map snapshot at the end of the notes there. And yeah, it just kind of drains out into a larger drainage area before it flows into the larger LA river. But it's, it's, it's just another iconic piece of scenery piece of uh, what would you say? Just, location that you would see and you instantly know where it is. You know, it's in Terminator two, right? It says, it says it's in also in Greece and repo man, full Creek spillway, uh, San Fernando Valley. What do you think of when we're standing here today? This is where my semi truck goes right through the wall, right into the wash, right in the pursuit of John Connor, who we saw the house earlier. Right. Arnold's got the Harley. He's coming around here. He's he coming comes right through. Here. He comes right through here. Yep. Interesting to think about. You know, it's 30 years ago. Uh, the pursuit of the T-1000 and then how that related to the vehicle. Yeah. And how do we continue to con- convey that forward move it going on? That was what I was preoccupied with. How do I m- make that in every frame? look like I'm in pursuit of this uh, being, even if I'm just sitting in a truck. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I also have a big connection from playing Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you played that a lot, but there's a lot of uh, LA imagery and that's uh, one of right. the principal locations where you're doing a lot of uh, races, but also some missions is right. in, in those flood control channels. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Played yeah. that years ago, but I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. See, the only other thing I had was um, that I thought was interesting was so are, there's several shots where where Arnold is he's actually controlling the the Harley Davidson. I mean, they used a stunt double for some stuff, which which we'll talk about in a moment when we get to the third mm-hmm. section. But uh, I, I guess when when Arnold was controlling the bike, they you know especially the the scene where he pulls out from the Galleria and kind of gets into the highway to start following. He could only go so fast on that bike um, with him on it and just with mm-hmm. the how tight the turn was. And so James Cameron used a, a technique that he, what did he call it? Um, undercranking. <laughs> he under. <laughs> We've all used that technique. Yeah, I, I, I undercranked right before we started recording. <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, which, if, which essentially means that they film it with a, a slower frame rate than the normal 24 frames a second. And then mm. in post-production, they speed that up. Or when they put it back to its normal frame rate, uh, it looks normal, but it speeds up Arnold's movement. So it makes him look like he's taking that turn much, much faster. And I guess they use this same technique several times throughout the movie uh, in a lot of the fight scenes to kind of give the punches and the and the fight choreography a little more punch. Um, hmm. And so I thought that was that was kind of a cool sort of behind the scenes trick. 
I, I just, I love how, uh, you know, this movie is known for its amazing, amazing special effects and mm-hmm. particularly the groundbreaking CGI that was used at the time. Um, but Cameron also has an incredible amount of practical effects in this movie. And oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. he, you know, he uses CGI really exclusively for the, the T-1000 and all mm-hmm. the other chase scenes, um, all the location stuff like that's all, that's all done practically. That's all done real. And it's this really beautiful kind of marrying of these two things. Um, the, the CGI special effects and then your practical special effects. And uh, it just works so, so well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a good, that's a good point because I was watching it again all the way through and kind of looking for those visual effects pieces, but just also really appreciating how much goes into the practical effects and like the real guns being fired and the real trucks being crashed, right. the real helicopters being flown under Dude, uh, the bridges at the end. Ridiculous. Like, that's unbelievable. Oh my God. Like the, the, the stunt piloting alone is just amazing. Just, yeah. And Cameron is the one filming, you know, some of the more dangerous things. Yeah. That's how, that's how Cameron rolls. Literally yeah. he's, 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 he puts himself in those situations. I think what I hear is that he's not asking actress to do something he wouldn't do like he would absolutely go underwater he would go uh you know under a bridge right next to a helicopter that is a a stunt that we will literally never see executed for a movie ever again Mm -hmm. you know like there's no way they would ever do that now like it would all be cgi'd um it would all be green screened or whatever done in a studio um we'll never ever see that again and uh I don't know. I, it, I I am every time I see that helicopter go under the bridge, I my heart skips a beat, and I, I cannot believe they actually pulled that off. That is unfathomable. <laughs> they, yeah, when, thought, I, when I was watching that one, I thought like, wait, did they really just fly, yeah. fly a helicopter under like a very tight fitting bridge? This is no like it's you know humongous crazy. Golden Gate style bridge. This is like an overpass over uh, a highway. I yeah, mean, it's, it's it's absolutely insane. <laughs> It's so just, crazy. Just crazy for a second. It's not even that impactful to the chase, I would argue, but just visually. And if you like, you're aware of those kinds of things, like, you know, a lot of movie goers, goers now are, yeah. it is, it is jaw dropping. Yeah, it is. It is. It's incredible. Um, it's, it's one of the standout stunts that they kind of the, the arrogance and the audacity they had to, <laughs> to do that is, is pretty unbelievable. Uh, yeah. We could we could yeah. do a whole podcast on the uh, the helicopter. Oh yeah, <laughs> going oh, under yeah. the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the choice for my scene for next time. <laughs> <laughs> next on our podcast, Terminator Two. <laughs> this is all we talk about. This is Terminator all we do. Two, scene by scene. Yeah, yeah. After yeah. that, I'll I'll choose the uh, the shootout at uh, at, at, uh, at Skynet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, old painless. Oh man, man, I know. Too many all right. Scene. Shall we? Get to the conclusion of our three act chase scene story. Yeah, here. let's undercrank this. Let's undercrank it. All right. Part three <clears throat> The T 800 launches his motorcycle from above the channel down onto the channel. The T 1000 looks back to see Arnold and starts to swerve to block the T 800 from John. The T 800 narrowly passes on the right and then scoops John up off of his dirt bike and sits him down in front of him on his own bike as we see the dirt bike crushed by the semi-truck wheels. The T-800 spin reloads the shotgun and shoots the semi-truck's front tire. 
causing the T-1000 to lose control of the truck. The T-1000's truck crashes into an overpass and explodes as the T-800 and John ride away. They stop to look back at the flames, with the T-800 reloading and pointing the gun at the fire, only to see a flaming tire roll out. They ride away, and soon after, the liquid metal form of the T-1000 walks out of the fire, reskins itself with the Robert Patrick exterior, and walks away. Mm Hmm. Uh, great conclusion to this chase, Mm -hmm. and uh, we should start by talking about that motorcycle jump. Again, (laughs) one of the iconic moments in this film, but also one of the only moments that I'm slightly taken out of the film. Even when I was 11 years old watching that, I was like... Even when you're 11. See, I wasn't noticing this until I was watching it this time around because I I haven't watched the movie, honestly, to be frank, that many times over the years. Yes. you know, bits and pieces here and there, but uh, really never full, you know, all the way through since probably the nineties. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, I noticed it right away. Sean Claude on the bike. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> I, I have always noticed that. And every time they do that motorcycle jump, I can't help, but look at the guy's face and be like, that's not Arnold. <laughs> right. <laughs> Apparently it's a, it's a guy wearing a, an Arnold mask, which is why it looks kind of funky. It looks a little creepy. Yeah, yeah. But um, that aside, that motorcycle jump is fantastic. What was it like working with Arnold and and standing in for him? Uh, It was busy, for one. Um, Like on Terminator 2, we had three separate units. My favorite movie of all time, by the way. Yeah, and my bike jump up there, um, which put me in the Hollywood Stuntmen's Hall of Fame. Um, It it was really busy. I mean, I, I had days where, you know, you'd wake up and you'd be hurting and you'd have to go back to work. Uh, wake up peeing blood and still have to go back to work. (laughs) And that is also not CGI. That was actually done, but they put the bike on wires with a crane to uh, lessen the impact of the bike as it hit the ground. Can you see the wires? I I can never see the wires when I hear about them in these kind of scenes. I can see a little wire on John's backpack when Arnold picks him up. So Cameron talks about this. Um, this was the very first digital removal of wires ever in a film. Wow. And so they, they CGI'd essentially out the wires. Um, it was the wow. first time that was ever done. Now that's commonplace, but that was the first time. And uh, yeah, I, I actually found this a great YouTube video that was a, a motorcycle stunt guy that was watching different movies with motorcycle stunts and like commenting on how, they probably did it or just sort of his take on it. And uh, he mm-hmm. talked about the, the T2 motorcycle jump. And he was saying like they, they would have had to use wires here because in reality, if you were to jump, if someone the size of Arnold was on that bike and you were to jump it that far, immediately when it landed, the tires would fly off, the engine would hit the concrete, and you'd probably break both of your ankles and probably your back. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I just used the wires and a stunt guy. Right, right. But well, that, uh, that, stunt, that stunt guy is Peter Kent. He was uh, the stunt guy for Arnold in Predator. Hmm. But the mask, I mean, the mask just is just weird. It is, it is one of the changes Cameron made in the special edition is they basically CG'd to the best of their ability Arnold's face onto it. So the hair is a lot shorter. The head is a lot squarer. And Got it looks it. a lot more like Arnold in this scene and in a couple other scenes in this uh, river chase scene where they replaced, yeah, the, 
the Arnold mask with a CGI Arnold mask, essentially. I was the first guy ever in the industry to wear basically a Mission Impossible mask on my face. Uh, I can tell you it was extremely uncomfortable. Uh, I wore it sometimes 16 hours a day, glued to your face every day, glued to your face. But um, anyhow, that is a, that's a great, great jump. And that, that brings all three of our characters down into the uh, into the canal and mm-hmm. uh, every single time I watch this I still uh, again my heart kind of skips a beat when Arnold pulls forward to get past the semi truck on the right side it so looks like he's going to get smashed yeah and then the camera flips to the front side and we see him just squeak by that's such a good just quick moment of tension I love that so much yeah, it does not look like there's enough room for no, him to fit no. over there not at all uh, but yeah, he, his stunt double, I mean, Arnold pulls up next to John Connor, scoops him off the bike. The bike goes right under the wheels, just shows you how, whatever, how matchstick of a bike or how matchstick of a, a, a vehicle that is compared to the truck. The truck just yeah. eats it up. Just destroys it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, then Arnold like just kind of makes this a short chase. He, he fires one round or I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. He fires yeah. one bunch of buckshot whatever a shotgun fires he shart, he shoots at one he shards he shoots at once and the chase is essentially over he sharts on the <laughs> truck <laughs> i shot it i'm so sorry i shot i shot it on your truck but he, he did more firing of this shark gun when he was basically opening up the fence. You know, he opens up a couple fences with the, sh- the shotgun. Yeah, he sharts Sorry, on the fence. Shot. Yeah, Sharts on the fence. Sharts on the fence. I'm on your truck. <laughs> the shark to tie us out. Yeah, he went to a taco truck and just shot it. <laughs> I'm in L.A. They have the best tacos. <laughs> Get to the taco truck. <laughs> I'm so sorry, James Cameron. I just keep shotting. Not Presumer's revenge. <laughs> but the, the races or the race, the chase is over a lot more quickly than I remember it being when I was watching this yeah. scene when you first talked about it. Like, oh, Arnold scoops John up, shoots a tire, sharks the tire, the truck crashes, and that's it. I somehow remembered that I somehow remembered in my mind. Right. As a kid watching this, like this epic showdown between Arnold on the bike and T-1000 in the truck, like Arnold just consistently shooting, shooting, shooting with John in the front. But that's not the case. It is a one and done. He shoots the tire out. And I think that's quite a realistic shot there. You shoot the tire out of this humongous truck and it's not going to be able to navigate. It's not going to be able to drive uh, effectively. It's going to just crash. You're going to lose control. Yeah, I love I love the whole way that scene comes to an end. I agree with you. I, uh, in my mind, it's much longer. You know, this whole chase scene in my mind is much longer. When you break it down, it's only you know five minutes or so. Five minutes. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because in my mind, it's such this big, uh, like magnificent piece of this movie, and it's it's five minutes out of almost three hours. But um, that that sequence that ends the chase is so well done. I it, you believe every single thing that happens. Right. And mm-hmm. then, again, it's this over the top chase sequence with over the top characters and vehicles, but he shoots out the tire 
It's totally believable that that tire goes, you know, blowing off. The truck loses control and he hits that center divider, which is awesome. And then mm-hmm. even even after that, you know, when the truck explodes, we see so many times in movies like a car will just get shot or like run into a wall and just inexplicably explode, right? right. But here Cameron makes the choice to like show us, okay, here's the gas tank leaking and the little kind of the little wire from the battery or whatever uh, is dangling and it sparks that gasoline and the whole thing goes up in flames and the whole thing is completely fluid and believable in the sequence of events and it's it's just it's a kind of a perfect way to end and and we get that great moment where they look back and it's on fire and then they they leave and then the t-1000 walks out um just like in terminator one when we see the the t-800 in his metal form walk out of that burning was it a burning truck or a burning warehouse or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I think it was a burning fuel truck. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Where it just, yeah, he pops up and they start screaming. Yeah. Like, no, no. Right. Just surprised, like, the movie's not over yet. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think I think that was deliberate. Um, I think that's a, mm. a callback to the first movie, um, where in the first movie we had to wait the entire time to see the you know the Terminator in his metal form and he walks out of the fire like that. And in the first chase sequence, in the first half hour of the film, we get that same scene and we can see what this Terminator looks like in his metal form before continuing the movie. I, I think that's a really cool, just kind of a cool way to to you know keep things going. Or to his credit, James Cameron lets the scene breathe before even the T-1000 comes out of the flames in his mimetic alloy glory. Uh, like, it's just you're just waiting. You're waiting. It's good five or six seconds that pass before he emerges because you yourself, right, we as an audience, we haven't seen uh, the T-1000, like, face any kind of battle damage like this before. And like, right. like you were saying, referring to the first Terminator, the first Terminator is like, skin is all burnt off and his clothes are all gone. It's just machine after he emerges from the fire and the T-1000 totally different T-1000 pops out with the silver skin and then just reskins back to what he was before. It's, it's, it's yeah, a good way to kind of shock the audience and make them realize this isn't the same kind of Terminator. This isn't right. your dad's Terminator. <laughs> this is not your dad's Terminator. Not your dad's Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's also terrifying, right? You're like, what could ever beat this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's how they start this. Like, okay, this is this machine's power is almost unstoppable, and uh, we've got you know two hours of the movie left. Yeah, how are they going to defeat this thing? Like, what what are they going to do? And um, it really, it's a it's a action sequence because action movies need action sequences. But I think it establishes a lot of the rules um, it establishes kind of what our characters can do, what the terminators are capable of, what their limitations are. Um, and I, I, I love this as sort of the cap on the first act of the movie that sends us off into the next section. Yeah. Because after this, we have a nice breath as John Connor catches up with what the deal is with the T 800. It's not a huge surprise because his mom had been telling this, telling him all about the terminators and his role in the future, you know, during his whole upbringing from there. Yeah. They're off to free Sarah Connor. 
and yep. that's where like the adventure of of the three really begins. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was really great. Uh, I had fun going through that. Did you have any yeah. other notes to uh, to chime in on about the uh, the chase sequence? Uh, yeah, a couple of things like you don't look back at explosions. They you check that off right. the box. Right. Even the T one thousand, like all three of them, just walk away from the explosion. <laughs> You know, they look back on it just to make sure the T-1000 is is not pursuing them, not because it's like, you know, you have to look at the explosion. Uh, and also uh, the rolling tire on fire, um, I believe that is a trope. I believe you do see that like in other movies, like when a wagon explodes, like in a Western, you'd see uh, the wheel just kind of like rolling past, sometimes yeah. on fire, sometimes not. Nothing's coming to mind, but I know that's a trope that sometimes people maybe envision happening a lot more than it actually does, but having it here is just, just another homage in my mind to like a, a great Western chase, like uh, as if, uh, yeah, a bunch of people on horseback were pursuing other people on horseback. Yeah. I can't uh, picture a specific movie, but I can just like see that in other films in my mm-hmm. head. Uh, I think you're right. That is a, a, a kind of a classic way to, to finish that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you have nothing else to add here, we can, uh, kind of move along. Um, did you have anything else to add? No, I think, uh, that is it for me. I'm good talking about the scene. That was, that was fun. That was cool to break down a scene. It's, it's kind of like old hat for us. I'll be honest. Like we just, (laughs) yeah, it's like, Oh, just a five minute scene instead of a one minute scene. This is, this is nice. I like this talking about everything from open to, to shut in terms of opening the scene and then closing up the scene. Yeah. So we're, uh, this is our first episode. We're, we're making things up a little bit as we go along here, but, uh, we can, uh, I think we, we'd be remiss not to talk about the era, uh, era, era of, of movies here in 1991. So this was the highest grossing film of 1991. Mm-hmm. On a budget of a little over $100 million, the most expensive movie ever made at the time, but grossed 519, almost $520 million. Yeah. So I think that was a success. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it sets the standard for action movies for years to come, even yeah. though in my mind, James Cameron doesn't dip into the well enough after that for having created such an awesome action masterpiece. He, he just doesn't really followed up that much with, you know, the next big action piece. I would say true lies is all well and good and has some incredible shots. Yeah. Uh, you talk about practical effects blowing up the yeah. causeway, yeah, that's incredible. The, the keys highway or whatever, like yeah. that is amazing and noteworthy. It's just not as much of the action. I would say drama spectacle that Terminator two is man how cool would it have been to get a James Cameron Terminator three? Oh boy. That would have been cool. We can only wonder. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Highest grossing films of 1991. Number two was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Mm -hmm. Number three was beauty and the beast hook, the silence of the lambs, JFK, the Adams family, Cape fear, Hot shots, that surprises me. And city slickers. It's kind of like a scary kind of top ten. I mean, you have Silence of the Lands, you have JFK, you have Cape Fear. Yeah, that's true. City slickers, like all scary <laughs> movies, right? Like designed to give you the chills. 
That was but a big a, movie. You forget how popular City Slickers was. I'm I did not realize that Hot Shots was such a success. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I always thought that movie was funny, but um, you know, like in the in the uh, realm of like Naked Gun movies and whatnot, I had no idea it was the ninth highest grossing film of 1991. Shocking. Yeah, that that had to give way to. Uh, like a lot of other parody movies, because even though yeah. like Naked Gun was there, they released their second uh, Naked Gun two and a half, the small of fear that year. Um, that was just kind of like, you know, spoofing cop movies and shows yeah. from the, you know, the seventies and eighties, whereas hot shots was very much parodying top gun. Like it had <laughs> top gun in, in its sights as the parody. And so like, I think a lot of other parody movies have come from that. Things yeah. like scary movies. That's true. Scary, it was really yeah. parodying kind of current films in the public zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other notables from 91, anything stand out to you there? Yeah, absolutely. I talked about it before, but the first R-rated movie I had seen was The Hard Way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just released just a few months before this movie. Terminator 2. There's also, I'm just going to kind of go through Last Boy Scout, direct, or, uh, screenplay by Shane Black. Can't help but there you go. talk about that. Uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, which as a kid was sneaky scary for sure. Mm-hmm. A, a troll shrinking down kids into like little dolls. Yikes. Yeah, that was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, double Impact with her boy JCVD. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, TMNT 2, Secret of the Use. That's the Vanilla Ice one oh, where... Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go. The perimeter's quiet. Yeah. A little too quiet. Mm. Well, that was easy. Yeah, a little too easy. Yeah. <gasps> Look, huh? it's Raph. Oh. Yeah, a little too Raph. You guys, oh, knock it off. Brother. Keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> exactly. Vanilla Ice was like pretty much on the way out by 1991. Yeah, that was his last hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Uh, point Break uh, is in there. Point Break. Yeah, Point Break is in there. Bill and Ted, too. So good year for Keanu. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of horror movies that uh, stand out to me. You got People Under the Stairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, uh, what was the other one I saw? Oh, Freddy's Dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Critters 3. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do have some sequels here. We have some sequels. We got American Ninja 4, uh, Naked Gun 2 and a half, Critters 3, Child's Play 3, Bill and Ted 2, and Highlander 2. Oh, so, okay. I, I can remember. Sorry, I totally meant to say this way back when in the third part of our scene there. Yeah. But our visual effects supervisor is Dennis Murin, or Mirin, as I hear it pronounced. Uh, just became most famous, of course, for the visual effects on the Star Wars movies. We're talking about uh, uh, the original trilogy and then two of the prequels and Force Awakens. But uh, you talk about that early career with the first trilogy of star wars movies the temple of doom et willow abyss ghostbusters 2 inner space jurassic park twister ai you know later on then hulk and the tom cruise war of the worlds super eight uh the guy won nine oscars for his effects work in movies like this is this is one of your visual effects pillars one of the people in charge of uh, you know t1000 which obviously the we know the technology came from the abyss testing that out, basically that right, kind of right. liquid technology there. Uh, but then, yeah, just the guy has been around forever making these special effects 
movies that like we all know and love, like we can point to different effects in these movies and say, Oh yeah. Like the same guy made all these different effects. So uh, seeing the T 1000 pop up out of the flames uh, basically reminded me of that moment or of that figure, Dennis Murin. The Oscar goes to Dennis Murin, Stan Winston, Gene Warren Jr. And Robert Skotak. Terminator 2 judgment. Day. Nice. Yeah. And uh, I also noticed that the cinematographer, on this was uh, Adam Greenberg, mm-hmm. and uh, he has quite the resume as well. Um, yeah, some canon films, some canon films. That's I was gonna say. Like one of his earliest credits is Lemon Popsicle, which is yeah. a, an Israeli teen sex comedy that was remade for canon films once Golan and Globus bought canon and retitled uh, The Last American Virgin. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's crazy to me that he did Lemon Popsicle. <laughs> And Terminator 2. <laughs> that is wild. Um, but he has quite a resume of uh, action films and movies throughout the 80s and 90s that you would recognize. Don't miss the year's most entertaining and appealing film, Lemon Popsicle, Certificate X. And, nothing, and something we didn't really talk about was the score. So mm-hmm. the score of this film was done by Brad Fidel. Um, and I meant to mention this when we were talking about the scene breakdown, but... How how like memorable is that score when they're driving around and you get that like right 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 like I don't know how to describe it. It's like the sound of like shearing metal or something mm-hmm. that he works into that that score is during the chase scene and man that every time I hear that I my the hair on my arms kind of stands up. That is so good. Yeah, and what when both vehicles are jumping down t- into the river channel there is this kind of suspension of the music and mm. more of this kind of like just high pitched tense this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just again, that kind of high tension probably representing the, the high, <laughs> the high elevation uh, from which they're <laughs> crashing down. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't do a whole lot else besides, I mean, here's, here's the list of notable movies I made. He also did Terminator one. So there's probably some yeah. callbacks to that score that I don't, I don't really know that movies score that well. If I did know it, know it better, I'd make the connections here. Uh, but the first Fright Night, and I think the sequel to Fright Night, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Johnny Mnemonic, Blue Steel, Striking Distance, and True Lies. And that's hmm. kind of it for notable movies for Brad Fidel. Interesting. Kind of a varied uh, resume there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, hmm. it gives us an iconic score in The Terminator. Right, the dun 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 dun. Yeah, that's yeah. There's there's all the variations of that song throughout the movie. There's like a heartfelt version towards the end. Right, that's right. Oh my god. All right. Well, I think we've done the scene justice here. I think we have. I think we've done the T2 River chase scene justice. Well, that brings us to our next segment, our recurring segment. (laughs) Our brand new recurring segment. Our brand new recurring segment. (laughs) Is it better than Predator? Mac! 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 Target's the center of the palapa. 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 Oh, man, we can just keep going. <laughs> Anytime. 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 
Thanks. So, John, I'm going to throw it to you. Is it better than Predator? Terminator. Versus. Predator. Okay, so this is our first version of the recurring segment that we've always done. <laughs> and it's a hard Predator. one. It's a hard it's one. A hard, I'm just curious. Are you comparing the entire movie or the scene? I, I'm going to, to say like, the whole movie. The entire movie comparing Terminator 2. No, I won't be mad. Whatever you choose, it's okay. <laughs> I like how you preface it because you know how I'm going to answer. I know. Uh, like my heart of hearts is always going to pick Predator over most other action movies other than like a maybe a scant few others. Uh, but I mean, this is like, I don't I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like words don't do this movie justice. It's just like how big it is, how much of an action epic, you know, know. movie term that people probably hate hearing. But just, just the scale of it, even though it's a, such an intimate chase kind of scale like this robot is chasing this dude uh but it's just much bigger than that just the way that james cameron really really poured everything into it in terms of the effects in terms of uh the explosive stunts and helicopter piloting and uh gunplay we didn't even talk about the gunplay that much yeah the people in the movie all being trained by this uh, ex-israeli special forces soldier <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe he worked on lemon popsicle <laughs> here's your lemon popsicle just just the scale of this movie is just so huge it's just everything you'd want out of a summer blockbuster it's you know one of the movies you would point to in hollywood history as as like one of those movies a capital yeah M movie. It's like, this is why the big screen was invented. Um, so a movie that's made to live up to that big screen status uh, that really owns it. That's one of your iconic movies um, probably makes most people's lists of top movies. If not action movies, yeah. of course, um, just in its scale. Sure. I think it blows away predator and a lot of things it does in terms of what I was talking about stunts and action and the practical effects, but but to me, I Predator with its I think the cast of characters is is one I like a little bit better than Predators. I know you have well, who am I going to point out as the cast of characters that I really like here? Uh, the T one thousand clearly the baddie, like everybody hates him. Boo that guy. Um, I, I think I end up disliking the Predator more as a villain or liking. What is the word I'm looking for? I I, I end up looking at predator as more of a, a sinister villain, even though the 1000 is he's a better villain. Thing. He's a, he's a better villain. I'm not yeah. saying he's going to win in a fight. No way. Sure. I'm going to, no, no, no. That's I'll, not I'll the question. That. Yeah. That's not the but question. But the fact that the predator is killing off, like all but one of this, uh, highly trained special forces crew is, is quite telling. And, and the most we see in the T 1000, I made this argument on the other show is like, you know, he, he kills the, kind of bad guy from air force one, the secret bad guy from air force one and Vasquez or is it Velasquez from Mm. aliens? Yeah. Vasquez. Yeah. I think. And the fat cop security guard in the mental institution (laughs) and a truck driver and a police officer. And and that's kind of it. So his menace is there. It's just not really exercised to the degree that the predators menace and dangerous as excised. Um, is this your long way of saying that the predator wins? Oh, uh, no, I would not say predator wins. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Definitely T 1000 wins uh, pretty easily, pretty handily. His whole weapon is basically a body. No, no, but I mean the movie does predator win for. Oh, you? 
Yeah, I think Predator wins for me. Just yeah, I just I also like the jungle setting a little bit more, and I like the I like the fact that there's a there's a kind of a quirky team in the beginning, and I, I like seeing the quirky team in action and seeing what they do. Unfortunately, before they're all taken out by the Predator. And- I'm fully aware that the answer to this question for most movies that that you watch with me is going to be Predator, so that's fine. (laughs) I I love Predator, obviously, but uh, Mm -hmm. this movie just sits too near and dear to my heart uh, and my history of movie watching that – and kind of what it comes down to it is is the way I look at it. This is going to be a hard question in general because when you're trying to compare movies – they can sometimes sit in different genres for you in your mind, you know, mm-hmm. and it's hard to say that this one's better than this one. It's just that this one is a better type of this movie and this one's a better type of this movie, whatever. But uh, what I kind of boil it down to is if someone were to plop both, you know, Blu-rays in front of me and say, you have to watch one of these right now, I, I would probably choose T2. So I'm going to have to go terminator 2 judgment day for this one it's gonna, a tie i i can respect that and yeah. I, I i think when i used you mentioned the two dvds in front of you uh i i, I blu-rays tend John, to go blu-rays. sorry blu-rays sorry <laughs> uh laser discs sorry two laser uh, discs. beta beta max two beta max uh, tapes <laughs> <laughs> two camcorders and the one was filmed with, uh i i think for me i i also just like the uh predator's kind of intimate story more than the Terminator 2's larger scale story where sure. it's like, well, this is all of humankind. This is, you know, uh, the whole world's history depends on this, this, this movie. And, and granted what my favorite movie is star Wars. And that's all they're doing is battling for the, the fate of the galaxy. <laughs> uh, so it, it's, it's hard for me to really support that argument with that point, but I, I like that jungle intimate setting and the fact that the stakes aren't, unbelievably high for something that takes place on earth. All right. Well, you heard it here yeah. first folks. Predator is better than Terminator two. John Jabrisky. <laughs> it's a split decision. We'll go with a split decision. How about that? That's true. Okay. It's a tie. Um, so now that we have that settled, it is time for a tradition on our show when it's me and you, and that yeah. is recommends. We like to close things out by recommending something that uh, we have watched or uh, a food that we've eaten, or if you're John, maybe some shoes that you wore. So, uh, John, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is your weekly recommend? Oh my gosh, I've been waiting so long to tell you about this oh. podcast. I don't. Yeah, I know it's like a podcast. No way. I, I thought you, you were going to say this podcast. I recommend a little podcast called Seen It All with Jeff and John. You want a scene? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, tell me about this podcast. I want to know. Okay. No, it's a podcast where Hallie Kiefer tells Allison Leiby all about a scary movie, really breaks it down beat oh. by beat for her friend who's too scared of movies. Uh, it's some, uh, yeah, I'm stumbling over it right now, but um, it's a podcast called Ruined with Allison Leiby and Hallie Kiefer. And it is delightful. I've listened to a few episodes with my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. My wife. Thank you. Um, and it's just, I, I forget how I heard of it. I think, if I remember correctly, Hallie Kiefer was on an episode of the Canon Canon mm. uh, with Jeff and Frank and sought out that podcast because, honestly, it sounds like you and me. It sounds like <laughs> you, who love scary movies, <laughs> right? About scary movie uh, to me. That is until, like, 
we find a scary movie scene you want to talk about, then I will end up watching the movie front to back. But it's just a delightful podcast. The two hosts have just incredible chemistry with one another. And this is so funny. And at the same time, hey, bonus, I can hear a movie's recap, you know, a scary movie recap without having to watch it. And uh, this sounds fantastic. I am subscribing immediately. It's called Ruined. Okay. Yeah. Gonna do it. No, because it has as its picture um, a giant butcher knife with the cartoon reflections of the hostesses in it. Awesome. Good recommend. I'm excited. Okay. Thanks. And I, I partly blame them because for our opening theme song because theirs is not like a collection or anything like that of movie quotes. It's just a guy in a in like a kind of I don't know kooky instrument just introducing the podcast. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, would you recommend just starting at the beginning and rifling through? I think so. You know, you know, one of the latest episodes I listened to actually was The Thing. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. So feel a free great to get list of movies here. I'm just looking. Oh, right great now. list of movies. Oh, There's, uh, you know, I've seen some of them. I've listened to other podcast reviews or watched the Dead Meat video on some of them. Yeah. Uh, but there are some I don't know anything about, and I love to hear it. Um, yeah, the one I first listened to with Sarah was Cabin Fever. No, wait, it wasn't Cabin Fever. It was That's a good one. God, it was the something. What was it? What? The Lodge. She's yelling. The Lodge. Lodge. Oh, shit. I saw that recently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sarah, did you like the podcast? (laughs) She says, my wife says the same way. She says, yeah, listen, I love the podcast, but totally terrified of the movie. And I would agree. Just just listen to the recap, even. Like, Hallie does such a good job. It's like, oh, I'm kind of scared just thinking about it or really... She says she can't go to Marysville again without thinking of Children of the Corn because oh, we listened God, to that yeah. episode too. Uh, the Lodge is that's a dark one too. That's like a dark like oh yeah, that's just like movie. That's who a makes these one. movies, Jeff? <laughs> who watches Who's doing this shit? Yeah, who watches this? Boo! <laughs> All right, well, I have a good recommend that I've been wanting to tell you about. Yay! What do you have to recommend? I I watched a movie that popped up on Netflix and uh what i know i know and it was uh it's a spanish film it was tagged as a uh thriller action horror movie and i was instantly intrigued and then when i started it the tag said rated r for uh violence gore nudity and smoking and i was like this is a movie for me (laughs) and smoking (laughs) and smoking um it is called below zero Um, and like i said it's a spanish film so you have to uh read subtitles but uh it took me completely by surprise by how good it was um the basic premise is that uh, a couple guards at a prison are moving a group of prisoners to a new location and, so yeah, and everything goes smoothly, right? Nothing goes wrong. Everything goes smoothly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they put all the prisoners into the kind of the armored transport truck, um, and they get moving. And it is in the dead of winter, extremely cold where they're at. And uh, needless to say, uh, some things go wrong. And um, I, I don't want to 
go beyond that because if I start talking too much about what happens, I'll, I'll spoil the surprises that are in the movie. But needless to say, it was really, really good. Um, the acting and the performances was fantastic. The action sequences and um, and effects and, and whatnot were really well done. And the story circles around and has this really great payoff at the very end. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I'm, I'm shocked that more people aren't talking about it, but uh, it was really, really good. It's called Below Zero. It's on Netflix. And uh, if you enjoy that sort of thing, I highly recommend you check it out. Huh. How's the uh, smoking in the movie? <laughs> copious amounts of smoking. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and not, some not, chase scenes. Yeah, not enough sharding, but plenty of smoking. <laughs> 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 oh man well thanks thanks for the recommend i was i'm glad we were both excited to recommend things to each other i'll have to check out below zero yeah it's really good i think you will like it yeah okay i think you'll like it um all right well i think that's gonna start to wrap things up here but we cannot end the podcast without doing something very very important each yes yes each week uh we will reveal what the next scene is going to be and the fun part of this is I have no idea what John is going to pick. So I picked the first movie, which was Terminator 2 and the specific L.A. River chase scene. And now it is John's turn to choose a film and a specific scene. And I have no idea what he's going to choose. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for that buildup. Wow, I feel yeah. a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, this I mean, you're going to find this out, too, that when it's your turn, you're going to like probably have 100 things you want to pick. And that. You really don't want to make a bad episode out of you want to you want to do the other side proud you right. know I know um, and I was thinking of some other movies some other scenes like some of my favorite movies and I thought no that's too easy that's like that's cherry picking I like no I know too much about those I I, I need to find like kind of like a cult favorite in my mind and mm. I look no further like than this. specifically the battle royale scene between the Chang Sing. And the Wing Kong, uh, when the Chang Sing, accompanied by Wang and Jack and Egg Shen, come to interrupt the wedding of Lo Pan and the Green Eyed Girls. Green Eyes. Yes. yes. Just just an incredible scene with so much going on, so much action. You have magic. You have like practical sword fights. You have uh, Jack Burton, Kurt Russell, like doing his darnest to be the likable kind of non-hero. This is fantastic. I am oh, so excited. Oh, I'm sorry. From Big Trouble in Little China. There you I go. There you that. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, great choice. I am stoked. Um, mm -hmm. I was fully expecting some uh, nerdy scene from Star Wars somewhere. Um, <laughs> that was on the table, but no. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up. we got lots of episodes we can do. Um, but uh, that is great. And you know what? I, I haven't watched Big Trouble in Little China in its entirety probably in about... I remember watching it when uh, my daughter was an infant, like in the middle mm. of the night when I was like, you know, when she was awake and I had the... It was giving my wife a break, you know, and yeah. uh, but that was probably six, seven years ago. So it's it's time for a rewatch because that was also at like two in the morning and I was half asleep. So I am stoked. Great choice. This will be great. I can't wait. Thanks. Yeah. And like just another favorite of ours, of course, John Carpenter. Yes. We could go on and on about him. Kurt Russell, of course, yes. favorite. Kim Cattrall, James Hong. 
uh, Al Leong and Jared Okamura. I don't remember if they both meet their demise during the Battle Royale. That's earlier, but I believe they are in there as a couple of the bad guys who you just see in every single movie. Yeah. Raiden. Yeah, the Three Storms. Yeah. yeah. Three Storms. Yeah. I can't remember the exact names. I think it's just like really, here it is, Thunder, Rain, and Lightning. Oh, Lightning. very original. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, awesome, man. Okay, good choice. I'm excited. That's going to be super, super fun. Yeah, no, this is and this has been a fun idea that uh, you've rolled out of the the old Jeff Glover brain. So I appreciate mm. that. The whole breakdown of scene for an episode for an episode of this show. Yeah, seen it all with Jeff and John. Well, I appreciate you just going along with it, um, and I, I think this is going to be really fun. And I hope all you listeners out there enjoy it. And uh, we will be back next time talking about big trouble in little China. Should we talk about where you can find you perhaps? And then the show? Yeah, sure. So uh, as always, you can find me, Jeff Glover. I'm on the Twitter. My name is Carl underscore Hungus three, one, four. Come follow me there. My name is Carl. He's been expert. How about you, John? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're shifting podcasts. I am changing all of the, uh, contact information so you can find us on twitter uh, it's at seen it all underscore <laughs> sorry about that but it's mm-hmm. at and then seen as in s-c-e-n-e-i-t-a-l-l underscore if you just search seen it all with jeff and then you start to type my name john then it'll pop up you'll see our cool little logo it should be the same as the podcast logo i don't spend a lot of time on twitter i don't spend a lot of time on facebook but all the same i'll have accounts up uh, to post episode mm-hmm. announcements and links mm-hmm. um, on Facebook. It'll just be the name of the podcast, seen it all with Jeff and John. And I'll make sure that's open and people can post and post ideas and um, bounce around other ideas. Awesome. Uh, and we have an email address. We are seen it all podcast at gmail.com. Again, that scene is S C E N E and that's seen it all podcast at Gmail. Dot com. Send in your questions, your comments, uh, your favorite parts of movies, or maybe of T2, or whether Predator or Terminator 2 is the better movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I think that's going to do it for us. I have been Jeff Glover. And I have been John Zabriskie. And we have seen it all. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a sign out yet. We don't have a sign off. And uh, we can we can say for this scene, yeah, we've seen it all. Yeah. Uh, stick around. Stick around. Hey. <laughs> stick around. Stick around. <laughs> you wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when Bobby D says, you're talking to me. Seen it all with Jeff and John.